0: Stop. Look. He's gunning for trouble. 007. It spells
1: Bond. I have been told that I must inform you the following program contains adult subject matter, adult language, and spoilers. Now thank you and enter if you dare. He's the
0: idol of every woman. Who are you? James Bond. The envy of every man. The nemesis of the treacherous Mr. Goldfinger. The man with the mind... A three-time and... winner for Fleming's secret agent 007. Who are you? My name is Pussy Galore. Isn't it customary to grant the condemned man his last request? You've asked for this. Come and purr over Honor Blackman as Pussy Galore. The female who is all feline, also starring Gert Frober as Goldfinger, international cheat, international menace. Gentlemen! Goldfinger, why weren't we told the New York and the West Coast weren't on this? Goldfinger, I made a delivery. Where is my money? And you owe me one million bucks. Goldfinger, the man with a finger in every pie. His goal, Fort Knox the world's biggest bank, his enemy, 007, the world's wiliest, toughest gentleman agent with a license to kill, 007. It spells Bond, James Bond. Mixing business with girls and thrills, girls and fun, girls and danger. The hotter the danger, the cooler he takes it. I think you've made your point, Goldfinger. Thank you for the demonstration. Choose your next witnesses careful carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond. I expect you to.
1: Goodbye.
2: Back to James Bonding, the father and son spy-fi podcast. I'm Bialu Frank, and with me is Old Dude. And this time we're going to cover what many feel is the greatest James Bond movie of all time Goldfinger. What was Goldfinger about?
1: Well, Goldfinger is another megalomaniac that has a uh, thing for gold. He worships gold. He desires gold sexually. He just loves gold. But he wants his gold more valuable than anybody else's gold.
2: And he cheats at golf.
1: He cheats at everything. <laughs>
2: So the movie opens with dark water outside of some sort of Chemical plant, I don't know what it is, in Mexico. And we see this bird on the water. And as it gets to the shore, you realize that it's a hat being worn by a scuba diver who turns out to be James Bond who sets up some plastic and blows the place up. Under his skin suit is a tuxedo of all things. And so, you know, right then, you just don't take any of this stuff seriously. And I'm totally cool with that. I'm totally fine with, you know, we're going to, we're totally into fantasy land here. And that's awesome. Goes to a cantina, hot, hot, uh, Latina in the cantina ends up going back to her room catching her in the bath starts smooching on her and another shot that I love she is an enemy agent and you see the reflection of her partner coming up behind Bond with a truncheon. He swings her around. She takes the blow. Total pimp move. And it's a, it sounds painful, too. It sounds like he just clubbed this poor chick's head. And then a really good fight sequence between Sancho and, and Bond. Sancho ends up getting electrocuted in the bathtub when Bond throws a electric fan in and leaves the girl.
1: You know, I think it was an infrared heater. Mm. Uh, every, a lot of people had those back then. Uh, Uh, Some of them were just regular heaters, but some of them were called infrared heaters. So that's what he threw in, of course, as we discussed before, you know, the fact that there was a heater on when there was no evidence in this Mexican place that there was anything cool about it. I mean, you know, I mean, she was dressed scantily in the bar and didn't seem the least bit uncomfortable. And she retires to this, this bubble bath and has this hair glowing, you know, when you're seeing sweat on Sean Connery's forebrow. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, whether it's a fan or a space heater, Sancho's dead and Bond is off to his new adventure. And that's when we get the credit sequence, which is... One issue that I have with the movie is it's essentially the same credit sequence as for Rush with Love. Beautiful woman with images being projected onto her body. This time, though, it's images from previous Bond movies instead of just the credits. But she's just sort of... sitting there or lying there or what have you, and it's just being projected on her static body. I think that for Rush would loved it better. But in terms of a the theme song, in my opinion, Goldfinger is the number two best James Bond theme song of them all. You had a different opinion though.
1: Yeah, I thought it stunk. I thought it stunk when I was a kid. I still think it stinks.
2: And what don't you like about Goldfinger? It's
1: forced. It's it's just it's not that the woman can't sing. It's not that the musicians can't play. It's just forced. It's not. It's like it's like somebody with no rhythm wrote it. <laughs> uh, they're trying to. Uh, make up a song, telling a story, and it, it's just forced. I mean, there, there's no flowing. It, uh, and I love music. I love all kinds of music, and that uh, I can't say it's not music. I can't say it's bad music.
2: And I freaking love the song. I, I I love it as a song. I love it as a theme song. I love how that sax is like penetrating the body. It, it it's like one of the knives going into somebody. Wah, wah. Wow, it's it's just so violent, you know, it's so aggressive, and then uh, Shirley Bassey's vocals have velocity to them. It's like the bullets ripping through the air, you know. Goldfinger. She's just attacking you with with these lyrics, and the lyrics themselves are so perfect because they're painting the picture of this monster, this this just evil man who's who's uh, everything you would want in a Bond villain based on the lyrics and he of course has the obsession with gold again and and so he he values this material thing over anyone else's life and uh the, my, the only complaint I really have about the song is it is kind of repetitive it's it's one of those songs where it becomes an earworm because it's really only got what like two verses you know uh, and a chorus and so it's very simple and it's somewhat repetitive but it's it's' just the nigh quintessential bond theme because it paints a picture of the world it has that menace to it it has that sensuality to it uh, and no Bond song has ever ended as well. It, it reaches such a crescendo, you know, with, with the, the, the her vocal and, and her holding that long note, and the horns are going, and it just kicks all kinds of ass. I love that song. Yeah,
1: but it's not a saxophone.
2: Well, I'm, I said horns.
1: Yeah, well, but it's, it's... I know
2: there's trumpets in there, and yeah, it's a mix. it's
1: a, it's a trumpet with a yeah. cup, is yeah. what it
2: is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... Then the horns are over with, and uh, where, where does it pick up from there, though? I don't recall now. What do you mean? Because this is the first one that doesn't have the girlfriend, so I don't remember where the movie picks up when it comes out of the credit sequence. Are they already it, on the boat? It, uh, on the boat. Or do they start off at headquarters? I don't remember where, where it goes from there.
1: It goes into... Um, Money-penny scene. They all go into a money-penny scene. Okay,
2: yeah. Right, because this is the one, the the sniper sequence that opens these movies, where Bond's walking out in the front of the scope, turns and fires. I never liked the ones where he's wearing the hat. And it bugs me, too, because we're three movies in, and Connery almost never wears the hat anyway, and it seems like he has the hat each time just so that he can throw it onto the hook in M's office. And this time, Money-penny is the one who gets the hat and does the toss, and I dug that. I really dig Bond and Money Penny's relationship and how she gives as good as she gets. But I'm really hoping that when we get to Thunderball, we're done with that damned hat. I'm sick of that stupid hat. You say so. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was a very hat-centric movie, so yeah, I would hope that they would finally be like, "Okay, we're done with the hats. We've done the hats to death with Goldfinger." So we
1: well, find out that just like John Wayne in the the hats and the movies where he he throws it on. You know, he's not John Wayne. He doesn't throw the movie the the hat to the to the weather vane on top of the house. But the whole point is that he never misses That hat rack. Mm -hmm. So that's the the gummy of it. It's like being in the office and making a two-pointer in your garbage
2: can. Mm -hmm. So we find out that the British Secret Service wants to investigate, uh, what's the fellow's name? Ernst Goldfinger? What is Ernst? What is his name? The dude Goldfinger. He has a first name, though. Oh. He's like, he's some German dude. He apparently had ties to the Nazis. Yeah, I, I... uh, I we could, just I always, I always try to call him Armand, but
1: I don't, I don't, I don't think that was it.
2: Yeah, the dude actually is named Goldfinger. It's, it's. You
1: know, he, he is what he is. Yeah, it's a pussy galore thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, he's moving all kinds of gold. It's very suspicious. So, Bond is sent to a... Oh, wait. but, but So, first Bond meets up with him on a, on a cruise, where he's using a beautiful blonde woman to cheat at cards. Bond sleeps with a beautiful blonde woman. Goldfinger's not happy about that it. I was
1: supposed to be on a ship, because I was thinking that was a... No, it wasn't. Was that on a
2: resort? No, it was a resort. I thought that was on a ship. Okay. No, it was a resort around the pool. It was nothing, because it was all fucking rear-projected, you know? It, it, it was weird to me, because you'd have this really nice scenery, and it's like, and then you well, start to I see the... Well, I
1: pointed out to you in the very beginning, because I, I remember, even when I was a boy, you know, uh, I was probably, I, I saw it as a matinee about late the summer of 1965 at Myreland. it was the first Bond film that I actually saw in a movie theater anyway and uh, of course it was an old movie by then but even I, sitting there in Maryland, looking at it, going, what is this with all this overlapping projection, and it looked just so fake.
2: Yeah, because you've got the chemical plants in Mexico, and then there's this yeah, wall like that a body tank, has to... Yeah, a tank
1: farm, I don't think uh, it Right, was, okay. I, I, but the crazy thing is, right outside the fence is a cantina.
2: <laughs> right, right, exactly. So you've got the tanks and then you've got the wall that bond has a scale and then right past the wall is the little shore of the of the you know bay or whatever he's in. And these are not the same place and they've superimposed one on the other and it's super obvious. Well and
1: and, and also when they pan back and you're looking at, you know, because he's escaping from the tank farm. He's blowing up into the cantina on the other side of the fence. Mm-hmm. And what you're seeing, you're seeing three overlapping
2: superimpositions.
1: Superimpositions, and it's so obvious, you know. Yeah. I mean, they're moving in different directions, but.
2: But one thing that's interesting, though, is even though it's fake. I like how it's moving. I like how that camera is oh, sure. keeps moving. Oh, sure, it
1: has a surreal quality yeah. to it. There's no doubt about it.
2: And the same thing happens at the resort, because you're following Felix Leiter's character as he's walking around the, the resort, and you're, the camera's panning around, and you're following his motion, but you're also seeing the scenery Yeah, in the I'm
1: surprised you're not saying something about that, because you're watching these films pretty much for the first time, seriously. Yeah. And... Every time you get in another movie, Philip Slider is a different guy.
2: Yeah, and what kills me too is, that we talked about this in the first episode, that Jack Lord I thought was awesome as Felix Slider, and he was definitely felt like the American James Bond, who reminded me a hell of a lot of Jim Staranko's Nick Fury, and this dude doesn't do that. <laughs> this dude looks like a salesman or like an insurance salesman to me. And
1: he's middle-aged and gray
2: hair. Yeah, you know, he's he's got a, a, yeah, he a, a typical look, build. Yeah. His suit doesn't fit him. He, he's like... He uh, probably Jack- actually looks like a real spy
1: at the time. Right, a real but, frumpy but, guy. Yeah. you know, we're, we're we're wanting spies that look like
2: spies. Yeah, you know, I mean, Jack Lord was so cool and so fashionable. And what's funny is it turns out this dude is actually a year younger than Jack Lord. But I guess Lord was getting the dye in the hair and he's keeping himself up and he, and he looked good about it but yeah big disappointment in you know, there's, a, there's
1: people in our family that that went silver in their 20s so yeah you
2: know, i'm still hoping to go silver it hadn't happened i've got some some streaks going but well
1: nothing... i was a blonde that strutted it like a cock and of course now i'm an ugly salt and pepper and <laughs> it, it really hacks me off
2: yeah look at the draw there you go. So is the one who puts Bond, or I guess initially puts Bond, on Goldfinger. And again, what's weird is all the principal, like, you've, you've got the scenery, it looks cool, but every major character in this section is obviously having a rear projection done. Because none of these guys are actually at their resort. It's all being shot against a, a screen. And it looks bad. Well, it looks but, funky as hell. You
1: not. know, the truth is, you can you can complain about it. Yeah. But one of the things, you know, you, we just watched the uh, uh, for for the first time. We're we're watching the the. Uh, special features. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you got to remember is these things
2: are being knocked
1: out bang, bang, bang. Yeah, it,
2: it, so far it's been one a year. And, and, well, yeah, and, and Connor's uh, appearing in other stuff too.
1: And, you know, that is unheard of in that era. Yeah. and Today, unless you go to China, it's unheard of pretty much. Yeah.
2: Especially or, movies of this scale because right. this, one, this one cost three million. So it's right. the same as the combined budgets of the previous two movies. And it's coming out the you, following you, year. And,
1: you gotta realize that, uh, and I'm not even sure you can say that it's due to inflation. I just know what things cost then and what things cost now, and every time I calculate it, it's about ten times as much. Mm-hmm. So,
2: you know. But that just goes to show you that's a thirty million dollar movie by today's standards. But at the time, it made a hundred and like something like one hundred twenty-six million dollars. So. So that's a billion. It, it, this was yeah. a bill in right. 60 dollars. That calculation.
1: So you can laugh of it all you want to, but it succeeded in what it was made to do, and that's to make people money.
2: Yeah, and look, the thing that gets me though is like the rear projection. I, I we were just talking about that in the the Formation with Love episode, where it's like I, I accept that for car chases and boat chases and stuff. That's what you got to do because you can't. You're you're not going to have po- It They didn't have
1: to be chases. Look at all the love scenes that were shot in the back seat of a car.
2: Right, but this or the thing, the though,
1: front seat of a car. But it
2: kills me when you've got the rear projection being used, and it's just the scene of people at a resort. I've got a good idea why that happened.
1: Yeah, they tell you why it's happened, because it's in different
2: places. Well, and also, a, 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 a lot of the filming happened in Miami, and uh, Sean Connery did no filming in Miami. He was making another movie in another state, and so all of a sudden they shot in yeah, Miami. They was in Miami
1: Miami, they said Boca Raton.
2: Florida. Right. Okay. So everything that was filmed in Florida was without Sean Connery. So yeah. that's that's one major reason. But so Sean Connery screws up Goldfinger's cheating card game that was worth $10,000 to him at the time. Sleeps with his gal. And then as he's going to get munchies afterwards, he gets karate chopped in the back of the neck by some big dude in a hat. And he wakes up to find that his gal is dead, uh, supposedly from yeah because skin she really
1: wasn't his gal. She was his partner in right. crime and his paid arm candy.
2: Well, they make a point in this movie too that all the women that are hired by Goldfinger, none of them are sleeping with him. Right. And I think that that's kind of an important thing because sure. I don't know if it's important because Bond needs the untainted, strange, or if it's the matter of they're no, pointing no, out the no. Goldfinger it's, it's doesn't all, care about the stranger's own self. He,
1: he he's a trump man. He want, it, it matters what. How people see him, okay? He's in love with gold. He ain't got no time for women. Mm-hmm. He's in tr- hes in love with gold. He's—he's mm-hmm. he's got. That's what I mean, you know. His his. Passion is for gold, he which did. is why
2: he also hires exclusively blonde women. It seems like,
1: Pro- yeah, I'm sure. Of that. Yeah, and he's a blonde and thing too. If you pay yeah. attention, yeah, everything's about gold.
2: But supposedly, the woman dies, she's she, her body is lying on a bed covered in gold paint. Supposedly, she dies from skin suffocation, right? And I remember seeing this movie as a kid and asking my mother, Can you die from your skin? And she's like, Yeah, you breathe through your skin, and you, if you don't have uh, if your, if your skin's completely covered, you can suffocate not true (laughs) but apparently apparently it was commonly believed back in the 60s that that can happen but as long as you can breathe through your nose and your mouth, no, it, you're it,
1: not it, it, it is true.
2: No, it's not true. Oh yeah, I just yeah. looked it up. It's not true. What can happen is, you you clog your pores, then you can overheat because you're not sweating. And you can also you can toxic shock. Right, you can absorb toxins through your pores right. from the paint, but you're not actually going to suffocate because you're still breathing
1: Oh well, your if you want nose. to make, I'm just saying, if you paint, it can be hazardous, but,
2: but you're not going to suffocate to death just from having gold paint. Well, but, and by the same token, like the, they did the thing where you have to have a six inch space somewhere in your body that, so your skin can breathe and that's a bunch of hooey it doesn't mean it doesn't matter at all but in the movie they did do that they did leave a hunk of her belly open well just it's, in case. it's
1: because there was uh, I can't remember what actor actor in fact uh, it was an actress died, uh, and, but it wasn't gold paint, it was silver paint. Man. Well, I
2: can tell you that Buddy Ebsen was the original uh, tin man in The Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. and he had a toxic reaction to the that's skin right, paint, that's right. and had to quit the role. Right. So the girl's dead, and so then later on, Bond inserts himself into a, a golf game with Goldfinger, where Goldfinger and his henchman, a giant Asian man named Oddjob, are cheating at golf. But Bond manages to cheat them in return and win the golf game. And that's a pretty fun sequence, actually. I loved uh, Bond's uh, smart ass caddy that, uh, that was working with him at the time. I wish that guy could carry on for more than that.
1: Well, and, I, and, 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 you know, the whole point is, is Bond was out cheating him right in front of him. Yeah, you know, every he he would turn his cheats around on him. Yeah, uh, and in that golf sequence, he did you know he caught him cheating, so he he just switched balls on him.
2: Yeah, uh, but the problem is, is by beating the already cheating talk about being a trumpy, uh, Goldfinger, Goldfinger gets pissed off, and now Bond has closed off an avenue of trying to pursue Goldfinger because he can't talk him into. Acting like you're there in a business deal, he was trying to try to actually have like dealings with him to get more involved in his organization, and by beating. Uh, Trump it, it it fucks up his game. Uh, but he's at uh, headquarters. We get to see Q again. He's actually called Q. And this is when we turn in the Bentley and we get the Aston Martin. And that is a four-wheel drive vibrator. That car is fucking pure sex. It is a. It, I don't give. I'm not a car guy, but I look at that thing and it's just glorious. It's an erotic car. <laughs> and then when you add things like the flipping license plates and the oil slick jets and the ejector seat on the passenger side, and the the gun turrets and the signal lights, and uh, what was the other one, smoke? Yeah, it had smoke. So fucking awesome. It's completely ridiculous. You would never see it in real life, but it's one of those deals. And also, wasn't this the first time where we got to see the weapons testing area, and they're doing all the cool, ridiculous stuff, like the gas-emitting parking meters and stuff? Right. I always loved that about Bond movies. Right. And I love that. Apparently, Desmond Llewellyn got hired to play that role after the original actor was off working on another movie. But one thing that helped it, make it in his favor was he was apparently a fond, uh, a fan of the uh, James Bond newspaper strip that had started running. And he was having trouble not addressing James Bond with the admiration that he felt that Bond was due, since everybody knew what he, what his great yeah, he agent was, was. He
1: was being being directed uh, by Guy, Guy, Guy Hamilton. Like, Yeah, because he... Dismissive and hostile. Mm Mm-hmm. And and he couldn't understand what the the director was trying to get at, and he was fighting it, but eventually he he caught on to the gag.
2: Yeah, the idea is that he loves his toys, he loves these inventions, and Bond doesn't treat them with their due respect. He does
1: not treat them with respect, that's right, so Bond gets no respect from him.
2: And this is, speaking of that director, this is the first of the movies directed by Guy Hamilton, who was, I think, uh, Fleming's choice to direct the first movie, and he wanted too much money. But now it's got to the point where the guy who had done the previous two movies wanted too much money, so they flipped it back over to Guy Hamilton, and Hamilton ended up directing like four or five Bond movies total. And had a pretty good idea of how to handle Bond. I liked that he played down James Bond as as a superhuman agent and played up the, the cartoonishness of the villains. You know, you've got some really great villains in this one, just like you had in the first movie. Like, we've had pretty consistently great villains so far in the Bond movies, but Oddjob is, of course, one of the most famous of all, this hulking Hawaiian silver medalist in the Olympics. The only thing that got me with Oddjob, though, is because you only ever see him in a suit, I wasn't aware of how muscular he was, especially by 1963. Well, he was an before. actual yeah. wrestler. Yeah, he the was dude's a... freaking huge,
1: yeah, bro, he, but you he, never get and to and see that. Suit. Suit. He looks like, like a... Uh, uh, half crippled fat man mm-hmm. but in fact his, he's uh, they say he was like 284 pounds and of course you know the guy you can tell by looking at him he might be 5'7 you know yeah.
2: and he, he's a brick he's the he, man he's
1: just, a that's right he's a brick
2: he's just a, oh, he's a big rectangular of uh, pure muscle there you go yeah and then the uh, fellow who's playing Goldfinger apparently he played like a child monster in some German movie and the dude has this constant look of contempt and disinterest at all people in all well places. he's
1: got that look a slime.
2: Yeah, and he's so great at just look you you he's got such a punchable face. He's one of these guys you just like you hate him on. Well scene. he looked he looked alright when he was wearing his glasses and he had his real
1: haircut. Well actually I think and that was a different it, actor.
2: I think that was a screen test of the first actor they'd hired to play the part. But he got replaced by this German dude. I don't think that's the same guy that was in the special features. Alright if you say so Okay, so uh, since Bond's game has been queered, he's following, uh, he's, he's got a tracking device, one of the new gadgets, and he's following Goldfinger from a distance, and there's a girl in a Mustang that's looking pretty hot that he kind of wants to pay attention to, but he, discipline James, discipline. And uh, he, he doesn't pay a mind to her until she takes the sniper rifle, the twenty two that we saw in From Russia With Love, and starts firing on him from a higher cliff. And then they end up having a, a car chase, and Bond whips out the Ben Hur spinning, you know, uh, uh scythe things, which I asked you if if Ben yeah, Hur come out for that.
1: Called, point? They were called spinners. Yeah. So.
2: And uh, it turns out that Ben-Hur was in 59, so they did totally steal that from Ben-Hur. And so he crashes her car and takes her and drops her off. She's very curt with him. She, his charisma is doing nothing for her. So then Bond goes back to the villa of Goldfinger, and he's, he's monitoring what's happening. And he's looking really good, and like a black turtleneck and looking like a cool spy. And then the chick shows up again. It turns out that she's the sister of the gal who got killed by the gold suffocation. And uh, And she
1: tries to shoot him with the same gun he'd used in the previous movie.
2: Right. And so they end up... She unintentionally triggers an alarm, and all these Korean agents that are working for Goldfinger starts chasing after them. you got a great woodland uh, car chase involving the Aston Martin and all of its cool tricks. But unfortunately, in the end... Bond is trying to save the girl from these guys. She makes a break for it, and Oddjob has this hat that they've already demonstrated he can fling with such strength, and it's made. A, it's got a metal interior. It can sever the head of a marble statue, and manages to catch this gal and that can kill her. And that's actually the jump the shark moment for me with this movie because i'm totally digging it i'm loving the pacing i'm loving all the fantastic elements connery's got more of the charm back that he had in the first movie that i thought was lacking in the second and then when he totally pusses out over this girl dying i thought that she was not dead i thought that he was like basically surrendering to give her a chance to recover but instead i guess he's just like sad spy and allows himself to be captured. Well, he
1: screwed up twice. He, he Two people died because he screwed up. Yeah. So they And they were sisters. Yeah. And he didn't get to make it with her, which he was planning on doing. You know that. Given, given, yes. Okay.
2: <laughs> so then he gets captured, and then he breaks loose, but then he ends up crashing the Aston Martin and getting captured again. And this is where the movie started to lose me, because then he spends like the next two acts of the movie as a captive in Goldfinger's custody. And, yeah, they have the famous scene where he's strapped to the table, the laser's going up his crotch. And apparently when the original book was written, they didn't even, lasers didn't even exist. At the time the movie was made, lasers couldn't do what they show lasers doing in the movie. It uh, couldn't project that kind of intense heat that would actually burn no, through metals.
1: Bu- well, go ahead and finish what you're saying, yeah. and we'll discuss all this.
2: But you've got the famous line where Bond's like do you expect me to talk no mr bond i expect you to die and bond manages to talk him out of killing him because of what he might know about the grand scheme so it's a total bluff and at no point over the course of the time they're keeping bond alive from this point onward do they ever offer any kind of satisfactory answer to why bond is still alive and and bond himself instead of escaping at some point he escapes and then he gets captured again and again it's like, what the fuck are you doing, Bond? Get your shit together. I, 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 he's spending all this time being held by people. He wakes up from getting shot with a Trank gun, and he's on an airplane, and Honor Blackman's there from the Avengers, and she's playing the infamous Pussy Galore. And it's like, for me, it's almost like a totally different movie at this point, because it's like, wait, so the, the gal that... I, was, I thought was kind of cool, and was, was immune to Bond's charms, is dead, and now there's this other lady, and she's a henchman for Goldfinger, and a pilot, and she's got the ridiculous name, and like, it, it felt like I'm starting all over again with this movie. It ticked me off.
1: Well, first off, a lot of the stuff that's ticking you off was designed to keep fans. Everything, everything that was in the previous movies is in this movie. Mm-hmm. You look at the weapons, the same weapons are in it, only they increase it even more. They push the weapons so far that an American soldier is carrying a British sterling machine gun. Come on now. And not only that, but they're also carrying 1928 Thompson machine guns and the M1A Thompson machine guns, you know, one being developed in the 20s and another one being developed for the 40s, and it's true they both existed in World War II. They needed so many arms so quick. But the truth is, by the 1960s, you wouldn't have seen those two machine guns, and the and you certainly wouldn't have seen the British Sterling machine gun. There was also some British 303s that showed up, and I, and I know why it is. It's it's because they're trying. A lot of that Fort Knox stuff was actually being done at Pinewood. You know. They did some stuff in Knoxville, but they couldn't get access to Fort Knox. They, uh, they said that they had permission one time to fly over Fort Knox. And as we discussed, I have had, when this movie come out, I'd been to Knoxville three times on trips to Louisville. And I'd been, we always, my mother would always take us around, that's Fort Knox, as if we didn't see it before. And the closest we'd get to it was about a mile away. There was a, there was a high place where you pull over on the side of the road and get the same shots you see in the movie. Fort Knox is completely deserted all around it. There's this big area and then there's a military base around it. There's no way you could get and it's a no fly zone. Always has been a no fly zone. So for the scene of these airplanes flying over that you know, that would have never could have never happened.
2: You're saying it wouldn't have flown? Huh? It wouldn't have flown? The flying wouldn't have flown?
1: No, well, there you go. you, you <laughs> It was a no-fly zone. You know, they got special permission to fly over Fort Knox one time, and they could see while they were doing it that the soldiers were watching them and guns were aimed at them just Mm -hmm. in case. Yeah. So, but... You're talking about the psyche of America and England in 1964. And they're just giving the fans what they want. They're just throwing everything they can throw at them as far as the laser goes. I will tell you that in 1964, everybody knew what a laser was. In theory, okay, most of America envisioned them as a Flash Gordon ray gun, and as you can see, that's what they gave you more or less here. Mm-hmm. But it was supposed With
2: the coils in the D. right, yeah. and
1: and they also said in the special features that they brought in a real laser. But of course, every time they turned on the movie lights, you couldn't see the real one, so they had to paint it in later. But, they did have industrial lasers then. The, the, those industrial gas lasers did exist. People knew they existed. They used to talk about them, you know, America's got these cool things, you know. But nobody had ever seen one unless they worked where they used them. And, uh, um, also, that was probably the first time people got you. you got to admit, the laser light emanating from it looked like
2: laser. Yeah, yeah, it looked cool. Well, but always be. I like how the, the metal cut to it It looks. I, I bought into that that the metal is slowly melting under the laser.
1: Yeah, it was a guy with a propane
2: torch underneath. Melting, oh yeah, melting, melting sides. <laughs> but it worked, man. Yeah.
1: Okay, but the the uh uh the thing is, people were actually getting to see what laser light looked like because in most cases it was like forbidden planet remember the laser light it was kind of it was colored but it was spread out it was like a wide beam or you got the flash gordon kind where sparks were flying from the end (laughs) so in a way you can say they were deliberate you know we didn't have laser pointers Pointers, and nobody really knew what a laser looked like I mean years later we saw lasers but they weren't in color when they showed them to us we, we watched them on TV on these uh, kind of news programs, and uh, they were in black and white. You can see this, but it was black and white. How can you tell anything up? But that's what people wanted. And I can tell you, you know, like we were talking about, a lot of people thought this was the best Bond film, early Bond film ever. You know, it still rates as the highest. I don't really see it that way. but But what I can tell you, it created more excitement... With the buying, purchasing public, you know, it was a thrill ride, and, and it was the gimmicks and gadgets inside of it. I can tell you that every kid thought Odd Job was super cool because of his hat. We mm-hmm. all wanted one of those hats. And you talk about Avengers. John Steed ended up with one of those hats.
2: Actually, I believe Avengers predated Bond, at least the Bond movies. I think that the Avengers started in like sixty or sixty-one. Of course,
1: they did. She left the Avengers to do this Bond film. Yeah. yeah no, she was him. the
2: second female companion to John Steed, though, wasn't she? No, she was the first. She was the original? So, uh, Diana Rigg came second?
1: Yeah, she was second. Oh, and, okay. And long running, and then there was a whole series of them after that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, uh... Yeah, and uh, I can remember as a kid. You know, you got to understand that uh, 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 I Spy, uh, The Avengers, and Man From U.N.C.L.E., man, I mean, other than the World War II Rat Patrol and 12 O'Clock High and those, those kind of shows, those were what drove kids back then. Our favorite game was playing army men, you know? We all had toy guns that were used mostly in, in World War II. Some some kids had you know every, people had I never had G.I Joe stuff. I had the little plastic army men. But a lot of kids had the GI Joes, and you could buy uniforms for little kids made out of the same material. And a lot of kids, when we I played with, would have the uniform and all. Man, it was you know. So uh, those toys, like the man for the the uh, the guns that were used by. Uh, 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 The Bad Guys and and Man From U.N.C.L.E., a lot of kids had to have those. And Man From U.N.C.L.E. also had a gun that was a camera that converted to the gun. I often refer to that as the first Transformer toy. Mm -hmm. I had one of those. Almost every kid that could get one got one. From this movie, I collected Matchbox toys. Most kids did. A Matchbox car cost 50 cents, which was a lot of money to a kid then. Yeah, but we could get odd jobs. Some some kids had allowances as high as fifty cents back then. Uh, I was supposed to, <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was it wasn't really a, a, a constant thing where I got my fifty cents. But I guarantee you, the first thing I wanted to do with my fifty cents is add to my matchbox collection. Mm-hmm. They had a small one of those cars, but Matchbox and another company too both made the die diecast. In a, like a one twenty four that was bigger, and everybody wanted that because it had my match my little matchbox car. It had the uh, little blast screen that would come up behind mm. and uh, if i remember right the uh on the inside you could see the column and all that all the little switches and the the radar screen you could flip up the radio and you know it was all very tiny but it was there uh but if you got the big one it actually had a working ejector seat in it <laughs> yeah. and you could take the top off and punch the button and eject the seat out a boy in 64, 65, 66, they just don't come no cooler than that. And that kind, it wasn't one of those fads that went away. I mean... That was still a big deal, like in 67, 68. There was so many toys and stuff that came from that movie, and it took over stuff that we coveted before that, like the Dick Tracy stuff,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, the, the cowboy stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Eventually, overshadowed on the Army Man stuff. You know, we all got into that, too. And it wasn't just... The Aston Martin. It was also the XKE Jack and and Rolls Royces. I mean, my dream car for a good piece of my life was was a uh, 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 Rolls Royce Silver Set Shadow. Man, I used to stare at my my Rolls Royce Silver Shadow matchbox. I just thought that was awesome. I once bet a cousin that was probably about 1969. I bet one of my cousins that one day I was going to drive up her driveway in one of those. And still today, I would go buy one. I one, I come pretty close to buying one, not uh, about 10 years ago, because I could I could. I could pick it up for uh, $30,000 or something. All I had to do is is drive to Florida where it was. I I still think it's an awesome car. There have been other Rolls Royces since (laughs) since then that I wouldn't mind having. But I still think it's just the greatest car they used one burke's law in fact he had burke's law only ran for a couple of years and uh he had two rolls royces so both of them were silver shadows but of different years but yeah i'd love to have a 1966 silver shadow you bet
2: Yeah, I think that Aston Martin was the most popular toy of the 1964. The larger
1: one you talked about? Oh, no, the large. They made them with the ejector seat and stuff. You know, our remote control cars had cables. (laughs) Uh, There were several companies that made those. I never had one, but but some of my friends did have them. We played with them, you know. In fact... I'd stand in line with neighborhood kids when people in the neighborhood had one to get my chance to drive it. I think in 1964, my father gave me a tractor-trailer truck that, that would do like that. I didn't really care. I mean, to me, that was just as big as a remote-control vehicle was to to y'all in the uh, early 80s when y'all were getting into stuff like that. You know, you don't miss what you've never seen. <laughs> yeah. But it did have a tremendous effect on us. But every time a Bond movie come out, there would be something in it that would catch on, and, uh, you know, the toy manufacturers were starting to catch up to that stuff. And And it went even further than that. I mean, some of the liars... Uh, even my father you know when they when he started carrying a butane lighter and i've got i've got some of them here and it wasn't it was a big deal because those first butane lighters you had to buy the whole tank you replace the whole tank which was a metal tank and the spout and all that basically all your your lighter was was a flint striker And the outside case, everything else you had to replace, and it was expensive to do so. But if you had a butane lighter, man, you impressed a lot of people. Then, of course, everybody smoked. You know, your grandfather smoked, and that's why I have a couple of those old butane lighters, which are of no good whatsoever. (laughs) You'd have to be a MacGyver to get one of them to work, because you'd have to figure out how to refill that silly tank, and I don't think you could do it, but... uh, this Bond thing didn't begin and end with Goldfinger. It was it was building film for film, and like we said, they were cranking them out one a year, man. Mm-hmm. It kept the excitement up.
2: So we find out that Goldfinger has been farming out work to all these different mafiosos in order to construct his lasers and, and, and pull together his big plan. And the big plan is he's going to hit Fort Knox, Right. He's claiming he's going to get into Fort Knox and empty the place out. Right. None of the mobsters believe it. One of the mobsters says, screw this. Give me my money that you owe me. I'm getting out of here. That guy ends up dead. And, in a tra- and in a, in a that
1: also here. becomes something. If you notice in every Bond movie, somebody's got to be killed by the bad guy. After this movie, it was always a defector. Mm-hmm. The, it's go, You're going to see as we go along in these films that in every movie, just about there's a defector that has to be getting right rid of, you mm-hmm. know. Until we get to the one that is like the Austin Powers where he gets dumped out of his chair.
2: Yeah. But see, in this instance, it especially doesn't make sense to me because the one guy leaves... Odd job kills him. They crush him in a car compactor.
1: And oh, then and see, there's another. I mean, you talk about movie first. They took a brand new 1964 Lincoln Continental, dressed, and they destroyed it.
2: <laughs>
1: that in the special features. I don't know if you caught it because I, I couldn't tell whether you were distracted. It made the people that did it, you know, the people who authorized doing it, sick to watch it get crunched <laughs> up and
2: it.
1: uh I remember that car so well, because, you know, later, as you know, later on in life, your grandfather always wanted to. He only bought Lincoln Continental Town Cars. At this particular time, he had friends that owned that car. Very car, and he thought they were lemons. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you know, even the president had a 1963, which was basically the same car, they just leaned it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. They had those great carriage doors, which some people call suicide doors mm-hmm. for the back seat. You know, you call them French doors too, because The front door opened in one direction the back door opened. Very cool.
2: But see, what I don't understand is the other mob guys that stay, they end up getting gassed anyway. So what was the point of that besides looking cool? The
1: point was that Goldfinger is a slimy
2: son of a bitch that must die. But why kill the one guy if you're going to end up killing the other guys too? And why give him the sales pitch if you're just going to kill them anyway?
1: Look, man, I mean, you know, he kills them when he's ready to kill them. (laughs) You know, he, he, You know, it'd be pretty damn boring if he just killed them all at once and didn't have a little fun
2: while he was doing it. He's a slimy bastard. <laughs> so, in the book, the plan was to rob Fort Knox. And apparently he was a big plot No, no. Not rob Fort Knox. See, you keep saying that. Uh, no, because in the book, that's what he does. He's planning to rob Fort Knox. Yeah, but we're, we're talking pl- about the movie. Right. The well, that's what I'm saying, though, is they fix a plot hole from the book in the movie, because Bond points out that it would take 12 days to empty out Fort Knox. So the idea now is... If they've you got, had an
1: army to do it.
2: Right. They've got an atomic bomb from Korea. Korea is the ones who are supplying all these men. Hey, you like got to remember
1: that, that they were talking billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. In that day and age, a billion was an uncalculable amount to... To people. Right. Yeah. You
2: know? And so, in this movie, the plan is to take a, an atomic bomb into Fort Knox and a detonate dirty bomb, a dirty and bomb Yeah. And, irra- and, 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 and irradiate uh, America's gold supply. For 57 years. Right. So that anybody who has gold that isn't in Fort Knox is going to have an appreciation of by a factor of 10 or something. That's right. Um, so he's actually just making it the gold he already has more value. Right.
1: His gold has to be more valuable than anybody else's. Yeah. Yeah. and he, he if you he alludes to the fact that he had a plan to, to make that a reality in other words, you know I've got my gold I'm going to continue to collect it but I'm going to keep damaging other people's
2: gold yeah yeah, yeah. and my assumption that if something like that actually happened is that Johnson would have taken us off the gold standard instead of Nixon <laughs> but you know the gold's still there. It's just you got to uh, wait a while to get a hold of any of it. Nobody's really using it anyway. So I think ultimately it wouldn't have mattered that in, in the grand scheme of things. We would still be in possession of that gold and we just would be off the gold standard, which we did in the 70s under Nixon anyway.
1: Look, you're talking about most Americans can't think past their nose, man. So how are they going to see that view yeah yeah you're you like me and much of my family you're always thinking ahead you know things don't sound right to you and so you try to research it and discover why that is so you know you're jumping ahead a lot of people don't think that way
2: Well, here's the other issue I have, is one of the things that Bond's doing is he's got a tracking device on his person, and he tries to get a note out telling the the authorities what the plan is. The authorities are hanging back assuming that Bond has everything under control, so they're not getting themselves involved. But the note gets crushed with the guy in the car. So the assumption is that when the Korean troops invade Fort Knox and they're inside, they plant the bomb. Uh, The Pussy Galore has her own fleet of Sky Vixens who gas the area and all the soldiers get knocked out by knockout gas. And so, you know, everything's, uh, you know, America's on the cusp of defeat and then it turns out that it was all a ruse, and the soldiers were only pretending to be knocked out, and so they turn around and attack the, the Koreans, who are now in Fort Knox, a fortified position with Fort in the name. Yes. Why would you
1: let them messing, go in? missing the most important point. What's that? Bond turned the girl into good.
2: Right, right. They, his
1: love is so overpowering, his passion is so overpowering, that he
2: made a bad girl good again again well, speaking of overpowering, that got a little rapey. Bond ended up taking Pussy Galore into the barn. They do judo moves on each other. And before he pins her down and forces her to kiss him, and then she eventually relents and, and, and gets, gets, goes for the galore.
1: Where do you think muskrat love comes from? The, the,
2: I'd rather not think about where muskrat love well, comes
1: from the, I understand your point. It, it looks like he's doing something dishonorable. But in this case... He knew that she wanted him, and all he had to do is show her what his love was about without raping her. He just slid her a little bit of tongue there, and she goes, oh, wow, this is what I've been missing. Okay, and sucks him down. It's gross. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, that we watched some bonus material where Honor Blackman is basically saying that Sean Carter is the hottest guy she ever met. But I really don't feel the chemistry between those two in this movie. I'm not seeing it.
1: Well, you know, I have to admit I agree with you on it, you know, but I have to. Not just because of Honor Blackman's. You got to understand how controversial it was to most people who didn't know anything about her contract. It was the first time people got, in this country, got a good look at Honor Blackman. She was well-known where she was, but we only pretty much knew her from Avengers. And, of course, it was a real cheap, the way they filmed it there. When you look at the digitally enhanced, because I've got them, DVDs of them, it actually, I remember when I was a kid, it looked that way on American TV. Basically, you could barely see the scenes especially indoor scenes with her because if she hadn't have been such a white person she was a blonde and very fair skinned you'd never seen her at all in that she stood out even though everything was dark and almost non-distinguishable and in, in a lot of that so really all you saw was her face and the shape of her eyes and what her hair the shape of her hair and of course that mole on her face looked much darker and stronger in black and white. Nobody knew she was blonde. And then here comes this color picture on a big screen, and we're going, oh, that's her. You know? And and people are going, well, you know, she's even better looking than she was, you know? <laughs> and that interview we saw, she never mentions just how great her career was after. But everybody thought it was insane, because she was a big deal because of the Avengers. And... They saw where she was jumping ship to see the movie, to be in the movie. But for Americans, they kind of wondered what happened to her after that.
2: I, I wasn't really into her though. I didn't, I didn't like the character. Uh, she was too. It's like you're talking about being forced. Uh, the the woman who's avenging her sister's death, and she's she's going out there with this sniper rifle and she sucks at it, but she's doing her best. And that's what she's focused on. She's not interested in Bond. That was working for me. And then uh, then Honor Blackman shows up, is pussy galore, and she's not interested but in Bond Johnny. either. Except she is. Yeah is the
1: train by 20 years. Uh, let's face it, 20 years later, you're still a little kid. And, you know, so much has changed. The culture has changed. You don't see it the same way we saw it. I mean, you're looking at it as, uh, I mean, that'd be like you watching a Ma and Pa kettle film. The humor worked for us. 20 years later. But it's not going to work for you. Yeah. It's going to look like bad acting and silliness.
2: Yeah. You know. And again, speaking of silliness, they let the Korean troops into the fort and then they start the counteroffensive. Why would you let them penetrate your defenses? plant a bomb, and then start attacking they
1: were they thought what they wanted was the bomb deactivated. They wanted to catch the perpetrators and destroy the enemy by capturing as many of them as they could and trying to find out where the real enemy was, mm-hmm. uh, because they felt it went well beyond Goldfinger. And at the same time, they didn't want to put a bullet into a nuclear weapon. Yeah. Well, and I imagine... Then again, yes, it was a ridiculous premise. Right. You know?
2: <laughs> All the guys are like, and they wake up, oh, you know, <laughs> kind of goofy. But I guess if nothing else, it contains the bomb, If it does get dead i tell it's you that I
1: really wanted to see. I wanted them guys to upright the, the overturned vehicle and climb in it and ride in. <laughs> I really did. Every, every time I see that movie, that comes into my head. Mm-hmm. I want to see the guys push and I have seen that in another film but I always wanted to see it in
2: this film uh, we do get to see Goldfinger do the great gag where it turns out under his tuxedo he's wearing a general's uniform and manages to basically walk out of the siege that, that you know oh, as, as a, general. a colonel's uniform Which, whichever mili- okay. mil- high ranking military official but he's got his gold magnum 45 or whatever that was oh
1: it was Smith & Wesson
2: uh, so you'd think that'd be a bit of a tell? I don't think many of our brass actually get to run around with revolvers. well and, and see
1: he had gold gun before
2: the man with the golden gun i was right. thinking that yeah there
1: you go we get but the it final was a, it was a smith and wesson 357
2: magnum yeah we get the final battle between bond and odd job which was pretty cool uh, odd job has a cool demise and Bond does have a good zinger for it, and you think everything's going to be resolved, but then Goldfinger turns up on the plane that's supposed to be taking Bond to meet the president. So he he
1: knows Pussy Galore is 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 a traitor, yet he's still going to use her piloting skills.
2: Right, right.
1: Then again, here's the CIA and the military wishing Bond well, putting him on Goldfinger's plane. Yeah. So, uh, oh, and that that's another point you can't, you wouldn't, most people wouldn't notice. People knew at that time what Learjet was. Uh-huh. They were still pretty much science fiction, but it had been in the news enough. People knew. And they wanted to make damn sure you didn't think that jet was a Learjet. And they used it twice. His jet was one, and the jet that he was loaded on—that was supposed to be U.S. Air Force owned. Mm. Both of them uh, were that jet, which tells you that they're—you know—everything in those those Bond movies. They're promoting another thing you never notice is in all three movies they managed to put a Ford station wagon in there.
2: There,
1: mm. uh, you know, there's a '62 in the first one, '63 in the second one, and a '64. And the third one, Mm -hmm. the Ford station wagon. And it don't end there.
2: (laughs) Well uh goldfinger has a cool demise you 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 know bond ends up in that pussy at the end of the, the movie the way you would expect him to the formula is starting to to really solidify now uh, my thinking is that i i did overall enjoy this one better than from russia with love i especially but it's really down to the first act i thought that the first act of this movie was so awesome and i was just so bummed that the movie couldn't carry on that momentum but, you know, a lot of iconic imagery, a lot of fun moments. Overall, Salad uh, definitely doesn't have the, the boring, uh, super slow parts like For Russia With Love had. But I still think I like Dr. No better. I think that just the, the raw charisma and, and, and the, the, the masculinity of Sean Connery is so much better on display in Dr. No. I still think that's a great villain. It's just the circumstances, the scenery, the uh, everything about Dr. No worked better for me so far over the other two movies. But the Goldfinger definitely comes closer than Forbush With Love. Okay, there you go.
1: And what about you? Uh, like I said, I like every one of them. They all, they all have their... I, I can't... Uh, we've discussed Thunderball is, is one of my favorites, and we're going to watch that next, and... You know, depending on your stamina, we might get to it today. Mm-hmm. You know, and we'll see how you feel about Thunderball over Goldfinger.
2: Yeah, but so of the first three, though, you don't have any strong preferences. They're all about the no, I
1: don't. You know, I have to admit that Goldfinger, as a phenomenon. Mm-hmm outside of the film probably out of the bond films probably did have more of effect but i don't think it makes it the best bond film and i you know and while that car is one of the best gadgets in ever in any movie ever to be produced you know it started something i don't think that makes it the best film it's just one of those things And like I said, I I think things like the Bond film, you really have to take as separate entities and comparing one to another is kind of hard to do. It's like comparing Bonds. I I don't think you can do it.
2: But people have been doing it for a long time.
1: They do it, but it's really just their preference.
2: Mm -hmm. You know? Uh,
1: every, Every Bond has his own thing. I'm sure... I mean, okay, you look at your nieces and nephews, my my grandchildren. My granddaughters saw some of the Bond movies when I was watching them on VHS, and they thought they were hot. Oh, he's hot. He's hot. And I'm going, he's old enough to be my grandfather. <laughs> and, and I know... Loves uh, Sean Connery. Medicine Man's one of her favorite go-to movies. You know, even as an old man, he had it working.
2: You know, well, he he was people's. You know, manly, I mean, uh, uh, sexiest man alive after he pretty much lost his hair and, and was all white and everything else. So,
1: Well, there you were. I mean, uh, what is sexuality? You know, mm. uh, Honor Blackman was probably in her 70s when she did that interview, and she was looking pretty good. So, hey. And I'm Freak. And I'm nostalgic. Batter, Bally.
2: Canoes, who added, used to be my favorite Bond until Daniel Craig. I assume referring to either Sean Connery or the movie from Russia with Love.
1: Chris at Bat Books for Beginners.
2: Chris Lydon,
1: Chronosphere Fiction, Coffee and Comics, Collected Edition, Doc Strange, Edwivo, El Romero Mero, Gregory Litchfield, The Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, History of Comics on Film, Into the Weird,
2: Jerry McMullen, Just Julia Raul,
1: King Dinosaur, Cristanos, Longbox
2: Crusade. Long Box of Darkness, Low Quality Facts, Lucretia, Martin Gray, Might Leave This Dumpster Fire, Mix Jennifer DeRoss, Office Barista, Randy
1: Andrews, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, Shalocktopus, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Steve Sellers, Trekker Talk,
2: and Wayne Burroughs.
1: And that is the list. All right, son. Bye-bye. Secret!
0: The preceding program is intended for the common good at no expense to any citizen. It should therefore be considered to possess a license to thrill in service to fair use, and not seen as a hostile act against copyright owners in the international marketplace. As always, should you or any member of your team be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This message will self-destruct in five seconds.